This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Two for the price of one this week on the ATP Tennis Radio podcast as we look ahead to the ATP 500 events taking place on the European indoor season in Basel and Vienna. Hello, I'm Chris Bowers. Shortly we'll hear from Dominic Team and the top doubles pair Lucas Kubot and Marcelo Mello as they get ready to get their campaigns underway in Austria. But first to Basel and two Federers for the price of one. I was lucky enough to sit down and spend some time with one of Roger Federer's biggest fans, his mum, Lynette. When it comes to Basel's tournament, Lynette isn't just the mother of the local hero, but has an involvement herself going back to the late 1980s. I began by asking her whether she remembered her first ever involvement with the Swiss indoors. It was actually at our tennis club, at the Siebergeige Tennis Club. Of course, there were a lot of people who were involved in the tournament. And one of our club members, he, I said to him, hey, by the way, wouldn't there be a little job that I could do? At, at the?" And he said, oh, yes, I do. For the badges, that would be a great thing if you would be interested. And I said, oh, that sounds exciting. And uh, because I was a passionate tennis player, uh, somehow I'd like my involvement in the tournament. And that's how it started. And in the end, I worked for the badge office the accreditation uh, for 10 years. It's easy to think that the Basel tournament has grown up with Roger, but actually it was a very, very big tournament long before he was ever around. Oh, yes, indeed. I mean, the tournament as such has improved, has uh, become so more professional. And uh, I think of it the first time I went to go and watch tennis in 1974. It was in a a gym hall in one of the schools. So, I mean, if you think think where it comes from, it's amazing what platform we can offer the sports uh, enthusiasts today. I mean, you played for the Seabird Club, you played for Old Boys, you were a team player. How much did the tournament form a part of your year that you looked forward to as part of the Basel tennis scene? Oh, indeed. I, I really did look forward to it because for me it was uh, meeting up with a, with all the organization of the tournament. You got to know so many interesting people. I worked at the at the badge office where, of course, all the special invited guests come. Of course, all the media comes past there, all the ball kids, all the linesmen. So I knew just about everybody that has a badge actually passed through our office, which for me was very, very interesting to see what an organization of a tournament means. And And I must admit, for me, it was a very, very interesting period as far as tennis was concerned. You mentioned the ball boys. Roger was a ball boy back in 1994 at the age of 13. What do you remember about that experience? It was great. I think for Roger, it was nice to know that my mom was always there in case he needed me, but he never needed me, which was also a nice sign. And uh, he loved just being around the the players and being together with the same age boys was, of course, great fun. And uh, I think he had a great time. Unfortunately, it was just for one year. But uh, it also shows you uh, he was a ball kid and today he's he's, he's on the centre court. And uh, it's actually an amazing story. Do you think he treats the ball kids better having been in that position? 
I do believe so. I, I really do. I, I'm always struck by it when, when I watch him all over the world, how he treats the ball kids. He would never misuse them in any way. He's always very respectful towards them and uh, he always passes the ball in a way to also sometimes challenge them. And I think that's really nice So because it can become a little boring when you stand in a corner and wait for the balls. But I, I think he, he, he's always very aware of the ball kids. And when he was doing the year as ball boy, did he come home in the evenings and talk about the players he'd, uh, he'd ball boyed for? Uh, I remember that he got a signature from Pete Sampras, which was actually his idol at the time. And uh, that the, he was very excited about that. And was there something with Wayne Ferreira around that time? That's right. Um, I remember that Wayne actually played the final and there was a picture in the newspaper where Wayne actually gives him the, the medal. You know, all the ball kids receive a medal after the tournament and which I find is a very, very nice uh, gesture of the, of the tournament and the players, the final players actually hand over these and actually the picture was where Wayne hands over the, the medal to Roger and what is actually very exciting is that later Roger actually played doubles with Wayne and they know each other very well today. And that's, that's actually a very nice story, I find, and that actually as a ball kid, you receive a medal, later you can play with him, and today Wayne is maybe coaching or whatever, you still see him on the tennis scene. And there's a South African connection through you. Of course, he's South African, which makes it even more special for mommy. But I think Roger was always, uh, always very keen to meet the South African players as well. When Roger started becoming a very prominent Swiss junior around 15, 16 in the sort of mid-90s, did that change your status here? Did that make life easier, harder for you? Uh, were you more in demand? Uh, no, not really. You're very much involved in his career. You try to uh, guide him. You you go along with the flow. You you try to support. But I think very much didn't change for Robbie and myself because we worked at Sibagaygi and our life uh, continued in the same way. But of course, there was a lot of focus on Roger, and we he needed uh, he didn't need as much because he was living in the French-speaking part of Switzerland already and uh, so Swiss tennis was taking very good care of him and for us life just carried on but of course concentration on your two teenagers. (laughs) I mean it's obviously a balancing act so what would you say to any parent listening to this who has a talented youngster not just in tennis in other sports in music in dance anything else about how to respect the childhood and at the same time help your child achieve whatever they can achieve, want to achieve? I think what's very important, I found, is to let go. I think what they do need is your constant support, but you should not concentrate on them day in, day out. You need to give them certain independence. They, they need to find, yes, you're there when they need you. You mustn't be like constantly around them. And I find uh, this is a very important factor I found. And also that the decisions, once a child does decide, for instance, in Roger's case, to leave home, is that the child decides that you, you tell him, would you like to go? And he says, yes, of course I'd like to go to, the, to join the tennis uh, academy or the tennis center in, in Ecublan, which was two and a half hours from home. So for me, this was very important that Roger took these major ins- decisions and that we said okay you can take it and you try your best but if you know you can't manage you can always come home again so for I I think this is very important that that a child understands that you you support them you guide them if it's necessary you have to take certain steps you can also speak to the coaches but for me to be constantly around the children I think this is something uh, we couldn't do. 
you're now a mother and a grandmother, sort of semi on the tour in the sense that when you go to places. And Roger was saying recently that on his trip to Shanghai, you went to uh, Japan for the first time and Robbie was in China for the first time. Yes, this was very exciting for us. I mean, China, of course, is a very interesting country. And Shanghai, if I think back that I was there in 2002, 2005, and this year, 2019, it was a very, very exciting and uh, eye-opener. I mean, what Shanghai has uh, achieved in, in over those years, it's become a, a total modern, fantastic city. I must say I liked it then, but it's, it's, it has become quite a city in the meantime. And, of course, our visit to Japan was very exciting and uh, we we experienced this amazing culture of the Japanese and uh, we loved it and we might be back. Well, yes, Roger says that the Olympics are part of his schedule for next year. Do you ever discuss with him his tournament schedule on the basis of, oh, where could we go? Or do you just sort of look and see where he's going and say, well, maybe we'll go along to that one? Yeah, we're very easy in this respect. Uh, Roger's uh, always says, you know, you're always welcome. So wherever you want to come, just come. We can decide, and which is lovely. We have to travel to see the, especially his children more. So for us, it's a combination. Uh, we love watching tennis, but we also love being together with the family as such, you know, especially with the kiddies. So when we traveled this time uh, to Asia, the kids weren't there. So it was also very special for us to have more of Roger. And uh, that was a lovely experience, but uh, we can decide, and that's lovely. I don't know whether you're into social media at all, but Roger has changed his uh, social media photograph. He's using a one where I, I guess he's about three years old. Have you seen that picture? And uh, do you know when it was taken? No, I didn't see it. To, to be quite honest, I'm not really in social media. I'm very careful. I'm old school, I must admit. But I do see a bit of Twitter, and but I'm I'm not on on Facebook or whatever what have you. So I must check up on that one. Yeah, I think he must have been about three years old because there's a photograph of him in general circulation about him leaning over a table tennis table, and I think it oh. must have been about the same age. Yeah, I know that picture very well because it's uh, one of our pictures, actually one my husband took, and uh, I know he was very small he could just barely have his little head over the table tennis table and uh, he could actually hit a ball already <laughs> finally just go back to the swiss indoors when you walk through the doors of the saint jacob halle in the tournament week does it create a buzz for you does it sometimes take you back to the days when you were running roger and marco cudinelli to uh, tournaments or they went off on their bicycles or is it just another tournament for you no, I mean, Basel, of course, connects uh, a lot. This is where actually my kids grew up. This is where we've been living for, for over 40 years. So for us, Basel is a very special tournament, you know, because I do understand a lot what's going on here because I worked here for 10 years. And, of course, Roger being involved uh, for the past 20 years, or I don't even know when he got his first wild card, but I, I remember him playing in the qualies and he played Agassi in the main draw once. So uh, it goes back a long, long, long way and of course I know a lot of people that work in the organisation still today so when I walk in here it, it is a special tournament for us. Yes, Agassi was Roger's first main draw match and his first year here as a wild card. And it took him a while to win this tournament. He's won it nine times, but it's obviously very special for him as well. Oh, yes. I think he's also showed much heart and he's also showed how eager he was to, to win this tournament. And especially it was, a I can say, nearly a disaster when he did lose against Enquist in five sets many years ago. I don't know the year exactly, but he got so far and he didn't win it. Uh, I think it happened to him twice. So I'm happy that he did. He has won the tournament nine times now, and it would be great if he could make it ten. But we're just happy if he's healthy and he still enjoys his tennis.
That was Lynette Federer, Roger Federer's mother and former badge supremo at the Swiss Indoors, speaking to me earlier in the St. Jakobshalle, a place, as she said, that holds fond memories for the man himself. Well, my first memories go back to playing with a wooden racket and instead of the neon yellow tennis balls we have today, I started off with the white tennis balls. And in Switzerland, we used a lot of pressure, less tennis balls as well. I don't know how many players of this generation today can say that. So I, I come from way back and I remember playing against uh, the wall and the cupboards and the garage doors for hours. That's what I used to do. So uh, those were my very strong memories that I collected a lot of the stickers as well. There was a, a year, I guess it was uh, maybe the end, uh, the beginning of the 90s. Um, where I collected a lot of the stickers where all the old uh, tennis players were in. It was about the tournaments, about the trophies, about the players. So I got to know them all. And then eventually I also became a ball boy in my hometown tournament in Basel. So I, w I used to ch chase the players for autographs. Pictures at the time was not a, not a big deal yet as the selfie didn't exist. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, th those are my memories really from, uh, from, from back then. Any specific details that just you remember? Well, I mean, I think a certain responsibility and freedom I felt uh, being a junior tennis player because in the winter times I would take uh, the tram um, to, to tennis sometimes. If I got lucky, my, my mom or my, my friend's uh, parents would drive me. Sometimes it was too cold. And in the summer times I took the bike and drove to the tennis club. And then, of course, on the bike or in the tram or, you know, at the tennis club without your parents around, you felt like, okay, well, you're doing your own thing, um, you got to be responsible. And uh, that was a good feeling at a very young age already, I guess uh, we're talking I'm maybe 10 years old at this, uh, in this moment, I'm going all the way through the city and uh, running after trams and trying to catch, uh, you know, the green lights uh, on the bike. So um, yeah, it was a, I look back at it and it's been a lot of fun. I got to know the city of Basel very well through my travels getting to the courts. Um, so I like that freedom I had as a, as a young child. And now those dreams became like the most amazing reality for you. Can you sort of put into words what it's like when you walk onto the biggest stages in tennis and the crowd? It's just, yeah. can you put into words what that feels like? Well, it's still a little bit surreal, um, I think, because uh, like you said, thinking back on how it used to be, um, you have a dream and the hope that one day you become a top 100 player and you can maybe play on some of the courts. Next thing you know, it's normal to play on center court. It's normal to play in front of 15,000 people. And sometimes you tend to forget what a privilege that is. But uh, I feel like I never did forget. Um, so I enjoyed every single time uh, it does happen. And, um, you know, I try to enjoy it as much as I can. I try to give absolute best effort every single day I walk on a practice court or in a match court. And I try to interact, um, you know, with the fans and let them know how thankful I am. Um, yeah, because it's... Uh, it's definitely, uh, it's been a hell of a ride, so I've enjoyed every moment of it. Roger, what does it mean for you to be Swiss? Um, I'm very proud Swiss, you know, um, growing up in a country that's very diverse and has four national languages um, that is tiny, you know, compared to other big countries around the world, um, I think has been a blessing for me. Um, I think um, it's one of the best countries in the world, one of the most prettiest countries in the world as well. So for me to come back to Switzerland, you know, after all my travels, it's like a, I don't know, it's like uh, beyond anything. It's such a wonderful place to live in. Um, the people are incredibly friendly and helpful. Um, so I'm very proud to be Swiss and I, I love living there. And can you just talk briefly about the, the passion of the people and the sports fans in Switzerland? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the Swiss, uh, they really love their sports. Um, you know, they might be a little bit less uh, crazy or showing craziness uh, about cer certain athletes or clubs like maybe in, uh, in Latin countries or other places. But uh, at the end of the day, um, we love our sports, winter sports, summer sports. There is a national sports that they really um, have been very supportive of. Um, you know, the original mindset in Switzerland is, of course, education always goes first. And it was the same that my parents also um, taught me. But I do believe it's uh, starting to happen more and more that people actually do believe that also sports can be a, a future and a career and a path. And uh, I hope through what I do on a tennis court and I show them maybe also I lead the way a little bit. Um, that's also going to be helpful for a next generation of uh, superstar athletes from Switzerland. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. While Roger Federer heads a star-studded field in Basel, Dominic Thiem is the main attraction at his home tournament, the Erstebank 500 in Vienna. At the start of the year, Thiem paired up with a new coach, the former Olympic gold medalist Nicolas Massou. It's a relationship that's proved successful from the off. We start uh, in Buenos Aires in the tournaments in South America. And then, uh, well, we keep uh, uh, working together. So this is a very nice relationship. Uh, we have a very good result. So this is the most important thing for me because I'm the coach and he's the player. And we try to make a good job. And when the results are coming, you, you feel that uh, you are going in the right way. And sometimes you need to be prepared also for when the results are not going in the way that you expect, but you have to believe in the work that you make. And I think that we are making a good job and, well, we are very happy now. He qualified for the Masters. He won uh, four titles this year. He's uh, playing good in, in also in hard courts. That is very important for, for us. And, uh, yeah, he's very focused. He, have, uh, he had a very good, difficult time in, in after Montreal. He was sick with the virus. So he pulled out from Cincinnati. He arrived to the US Open maybe at 30% or less maybe. So he tried to play, but no, no chance to, to have energy. And it was a difficult time for at least one month. Also in Davis Cup, he played against Finland and he was recovering. So he's uh, impressed how he recovered in the last three weeks because from that situation, he won the tournament in Beijing. So we are very happy to, to the last part of the season to to be with energy and motivation to end in the best way. Let's talk about Beijing in a bit more detail. That was a strong ATP 500, some big players in Beijing, so must be very satisfied. What were you particularly pleased with? You've talked about his development on a hard court before. What were you particularly pleased with what he did in Beijing? Well, I think that he won the one of the toughest tournaments, 500. He won Barcelona, that is very, very hard, and also Beijing. Uh, you can saw, If you saw the draw, it's amazing players there. The cutoff was almost like 40 or less than 50 in the world. So you play every match with difficult players. And uh, yeah, he played uh, against amazing players. And I think that he gives a lot of confidence to to believe that uh, the end of the season can be very good. Yeah, I, I think that he's, uh, his game, he can, he can play unbelievable here. He have unbelievable shots, so you can... Uh, change small details that make big difference and we are trying to to do that that's what we are working every day and uh, yeah I'm very happy that the way that he's playing and I I hope that this way that we are uh, having all this year stay in the next year also 
You talked about small details there. I don't want you to give any secrets away. <laughs> but can you elaborate on that? Can you give us a few more details? Is that specifically on hard courts or is that just no. in this game in general? No, I think that we, we try to, to adjust some things. For example, at the beginning when I, when I arrived to Indian Wells, we tried to, to adapt a little bit more the game to hard courts, to be a little bit more aggressive. Uh, unpredictable to, to 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 do to have all the options to to make different things inside the court to return the serve for example in sometimes in the back of the court like like always he he like it uh, sometimes finish points in the net mixed with the different high to do of the ball uh, everything I think the, the the good thing that here you have a, a young player he just turned 26 and he have the talent that you can talk to him and he can make everything that you said because he, you say because the guy is an unbelievable talent he's a great worker he works uh, every day 100% he's focused on this he tries to to be every day better and better so this is important for a coach he makes the the, the things easier for me because uh, it's, it's very nice that when you go to the court to practice or to the gym or whatever to find a, a person that he tried to, to, to make the best effort. So this is very important for me. How much of a bonus is it to qualify for London? Quite early, wasn't it, in the year? You know, he's done it pretty quickly this year. Well, I think that the results of the year, I mean, was good. That's why he qualified. And uh, it's important for me and for him because he qualified for the fourth time in a row. And it's so difficult. Only the eight best players in the world are right there. So it's a... We are calm because we we make a goal. I mean achieve something but uh, uh, beside that we need to continue and uh, is the goal now to make sure he arrives in London fresh to really really play his best tennis at the O2 at the end of end of the season well there's we try to go like every time that we arrive to tournament we try to put everything in that in that week just one last question and I'm asking a few of the coaches this this week we're not too far away if you planned the off season I'm just interested in where you do that and how you break that down in terms of uh, maybe physical work and work on the tennis court? Yeah, uh, normally Dominic, the last few years, the, he make it in Tenerife, in Spain. Uh, this year we want to make it in Miami uh, because the physical trainer of Dominic Douglas Cordero, the Cuban, a, a Cuban physical trainer, he lives there. Um, also, I live between Santiago and in Miami. And I think the weather is amazing at that time in December and it's closer to Australia also. So we're going to make three weeks in uh, Miami, starting the 2nd of December. And we stay there maybe around 21 or 22 of uh, December. And then we go to Australia. We're going to arrive to Australia two weeks before. Uh, we are looking where we go because they play the ATP Cup Austria in Sydney. So there's a chance that we go to Sydney or Melbourne to prepare before uh, Dominic Team, who's the top seed in the Vienna singles due to the withdrawal of Daniel Medvedev through fatigue. Meanwhile, in the doubles, Lucas Kubot and Marcelo Melo lead the way, having just qualified for the year-end NITO ATP finals next month. On the eve of the tournament in Vienna, the Polish-Brazilian pair spoke with Lee Goodall, who began by asking Melo what it means to have qualified for London. It means a lot for us. Uh, always, it's... Uh... Our goal during the season uh, to do very good matches, good tournaments to qualify uh, for the London. So we are very happy we could do it and guarantee our spot there again.
Lucas, um, obviously you like to get your hands on trophies and titles, the biggest titles in our sports, but where does qualifying for London sit in terms of the goals when when you guys sit down, presumably in the pre-season or, or on January the 1st? How high up the list is that? Well, this is, I would say, the main target for us when we team up and start the season in January. We want to end it up in, uh, in the tournament and Masters. Uh, so this is, I think, for all the teams, uh, the dream. To, to achieve during the whole uh, season and uh, we are very happy to be third time in a row uh, there to, and we are looking forward to compete in, uh, in London. We have a great memories there and uh, hopefully we will continue the best as we can to play together there. Marcelo, if you could just talk us through the season, the highs, but I guess uh, part of being a tennis professional, there are frustrations as well, aren't there? How, how's 2019 been for you guys? I think we having a, a good season. Uh, uh, Lucas started the season alone. I was going back from injury last year. Uh, I joined uh, back together in Rotterdam. Uh, I think we did very good uh, USA trip in the Wells Miami, and then uh, not so good during Europe. Uh, I think we could have done a little bit more. But like you said, you have ups and downs during the season. It's uh, very important to keep strong when you're not doing the best and take the most when you're playing the best. So we could do this. Lukas, um, if I can just talk to you about some of your your rivals um, on the ATP Tour in terms of the doubles teams. Of course, it's been an incredible year for Robert Farrones, Juan Sebastian Cabal. Um, what has made them so strong this year? What what makes them a good team? Why have they had so much success? Well, they, this one of the team which is working very hard. You know, they have a great team, experienced coach Jeff Kutsi, who used to be the tennis uh, player before. So. Uh, I think they was missing, uh, I would say, the Grand Slam, which uh, to win the Grand Slam, and after that, I think they especially started uh, unbelievable the clay court season with the title Barcelona and uh, and Rome, and I think that uh, gave them a lot of uh, confidence. And uh, winning uh, Wimbledon U.S. Open, I think uh, right now they are full of confidence. Uh, and uh, I think they, they deserved it for the especially last couple of years, um, you know, always trying to to to, to win uh, the Grand Slam. So um, actually just want to say congratulations for the whole team right, right there. They are doing a very good job and, um, you know, we, it's kind of motivation for us to play against them. And uh, we always had a great tough matches. So, yeah, just the, all I can say, and uh, they deserve to be number one in the end of this year. Marcelo, just a, a word on some of the other teams. It feels like it's been quite a, a, a surprising year in doubles, maybe a, a little bit different. We had surprise Roland Garros champions, a couple of, well, three big teams uh, separating. The, the French guys, of course, Nico Mahou and Pierre Huguerbert, start of the year. We had Jamie Murray, Bruno Suarez, uh, Oliver Marak, Mate Pavic, uh, Dodig and Polasek str- finishing strongly. Does it feel like that for you? You've been around the doubles game for so long. We've seen some different teams do well this season. Yes, I think uh, this year pretty much more teams are doing better. Like you said, if you see the race to the finals, how many teams still had a chance to qualify. They pretty much close each other with 500 point, uh, 100 points like that. So... Uh, many new teams came in, like you said, Dodig and Polasek playing very good. Uh, now we got to be ready. Like you said, doubles, uh, every day goes by, it's more competitive. We have a lot of singles guys playing as well. Uh, the draw full of very good matches since the first round. So you got to be in shape to be there. But I have to say in these days, we have way more doubles uh, willing to win a Grand Slam than before. 
Um, Lucas, just let's focus in on London. You just mentioned that it's the third time you guys will be there. What's it like playing in London? If 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 a fan has never been to that event at the O2, what's the experience like from a playing side of of things? How does that differ from a regular tournament? Well, different is that the best uh, eight singles players competing there, as well as uh, best eight teams, which are you know giving the best of the whole uh, year. So it's kind of prize for them to to be there and give the last uh, fuel what is you know uh, last gasoline which is in the fuel in the, in the in the end of the year so everybody wants to wants to finish the year with the title there everybody is you know hungry what makes it special uh, of course it's a day and night session combined together with the sing- doubles and uh, singles match in the uh, day session and also in the evening session and I'm, I think that the doubles uh it's helping also to promote you know the singles uh, matches so it's it's very good i think for the people which are coming and and watching the the tennis so you have uh, you could see long rallies in the singles and and quick uh, quick hands in the doubles so i think this makes it special this uh, this event and uh, like i said before bait eight singles players bait eight doubles teams competing uh to to end it up uh, and win the title in masters is make it special and is that a special court to play on Marcelo as well? And the, the you know the whole show element coming through the tunnel with the smoke is that, a, that looks like a pretty cool experience. Yes, it's a very cool experience for us, uh, for even doubles or singles for the player in general. It's such a huge event for only a couple of players, so it's, a, it's it's I mean it's a a special place to be, special court to play. The people a lot of uh, energy there for us so this is the most uh, important is going there is enjoying as much as we can and does it feel like uh, in Britain we play a lot of doubles in, in club tennis probably mostly we, we just play doubles do you feel like you're playing in front of a knowledgeable crowd that appreciates doubles for sure uh, there uh, we know they love doubles uh, Jamie has been playing such a high level for for a long time we had another great British playing doubles as well so it's always special like in US they love to play doubles so we feel the crowd are different. They see, they want to see what do we do. Maybe for them to put on their weekend match at the club. So this is, is fun. Like Kubot said, uh, singles has a lot of rallies, doubles. We are a little bit more quick hands, but uh, I would say over 40, most of them play doubles. So they want to come to see doubles. And our congratulations go to Kubot and Mello for their recent qualification. And ATP Tennis Radio will bring you ball-by-ball commentary from all the matches from the ATP Finals starting on the 10th of November, including all the doubles matches. Also, congratulations to this week's winners of the three 250-level events on the ATP Tour. To Andrei Rublev, who beat Adrian Manorino in the final of the VTB Kremlin Cup in Moscow. To Denis Shapovalov, who got the better of Filip Krajinovic to claim his first ATP title at the Interim Stockholm Open. And to Andy Murray, who notched up his first tournament title since Dubai nearly three years ago by beating Stan Wawrinka in the final of the European Open in Antwerp, continuing an impressive and remarkable comeback by the former world number one. You both gave Antwerp an incredible final, but considering everything you went through with your hip injury, all the pain, the doubts, what does this mean to you, winning the trophy here? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, it means a lot. Last few years have been extremely difficult. Um, both uh, actually me and Stan have had a lot of injury problems in the last couple of years. Um, and yeah, amazing, obviously, to be back playing against him in a final like that. I mean, I th- 
I mean, I think it was, was a great match. Um, you know, Stan was playing unbelievable. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Stan was, like I say, Stan was playing amazing tennis, hitting winners from all over the court, and I just managed to hang in a bit at the end of the second set, and then, obviously, third set was um, extremely close again, but, yeah, amazing. I mean, yeah, I, was, I didn't expect to be in this position at all, so yeah, I'm very, very happy. You know Stan, of course, very well. How deep did you have to dig today? Because he started off so well. Stan is a, I mean, he's a brilliant player. He's won many, many big tournaments. He always plays extremely well in the, the big matches. And uh, yeah, we've, I don't know, I think that's the 20, 20th time we played or something like that. So we know each other's games well. We've played many tough matches in the past. I expected another one today and that was what I got. I think Belgium is becoming quite special to you. You won the Davis Cup here. That was an incredible moment for you. Now this after two and a half years without a, a victory, a title? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I've been really enjoyed my week here. Um, you know, the, the atmosphere the last few days has been amazing. Um, I said the same thing yesterday, but for events like this, to have crowds like this over the, the weekend, it's really important to sustain the, the tournament. So thank you very much for everyone who came out to support the event. And yeah, I've had... Like I've had some, some great moments here. This is yeah, one of the, you know, the, the biggest wins that, that I've had after everything. So um, I'm very proud of the, the win this week. And um, yeah, I've always, always enjoyed my time here. Can we make a deal? You come back next year, we'll ask Stan to come back and we'll have a rematch? What do you think? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like... I'll ask again tomorrow, maybe. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, both of us, uh, I'm sure, you know, enjoyed the week, and yeah, maybe next year we'll we'll be back to, to play again. They put on a great tournament for the players. Your wife is back home, pregnant, waiting for you. She's been patient. You're keen to get back, I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I've got two two young kids and a third one coming, so I have three kids under four years old. So. Uh, <laughs> When I've, it's tougher than a match here. I know. When I've been off the tour the last few, de few years, my family's got bigger, so I need to get on the road so we don't get out of control. But, um, yeah, look, I'm, I'm excited for the, the third kid, and my wife's been a huge support for getting me back on the court and, you know, making me, me fight to, to keep playing. Thank you so much. Many congratulations. Andy Murray. So to the coming week and ATP Tennis Radio's commentary of the week's 500 events, which you can listen to via the Listen button on the ATP Tour website or through the TuneIn website and app. Our coverage begins half an hour before the first of the live action every day, so join us when you can. That's it for this week's podcast. Next Sunday, we'll be rounding up events from Basel and Vienna and looking ahead to the final Masters event of the year, the Rolex Paris Masters, where qualification for London will no doubt be on the minds of several doubles teams as well as a handful of hopeful singles players. I'm Chris Bowers. Enjoy the tennis. Bye-bye. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. review. 